If there's ever a time where we needed to pull together as believers of Christ and, and unite and try to strengthen and make the world a better place, it's now. Mm-hmm. And that, that sounds like he's yeah. preaching our message. <laughs> there's one body, one church, one spirit, one hope. The realities of the faith, the ra- realities that unify us are already there. Christ praying for unity. What should we be praying for? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the one prayer request of Jesus. Think about it in the Bible that we actually have a say in whether or not it comes to fruition or not. I think in what God has done in you guys in uh, in this podcast and the, the multitude of folks that you're reaching, the diversity, whatever God intended when he's, when you started this, he's able to bring it to completion. Hey everyone, welcome to the Whole Church Podcast bonus round, bonus episode something. Uh, today, well really, uh, <laughs> the reason for this bonus episode honestly is... Um, I was listening to some of our previous episodes early on in our Dividing Scripture series before it was known as um, that. Uh, back then it was known as the series. That was it. Yeah. Um, and I realized uh, for the first few episodes, we talked about creation v. evolution, that kind of stuff with the church. We talked a lot about early church fathers view of creation, but I don't think we covered extensively enough the history of the whole church. So today, uh, we're just going to kind of go over the history. If you want more on the actual views and models of creation versus evolution and what everyone thinks about it, we talk about the actual views of it in episodes uh, 41, 44, and 61, I believe it is. But today, we're just simply going to talk about kind of an overview of the history, starting with Augustine, going all through modern leaders like John Piper and Tim Keller. So if you're curious of the history... This will be a good episode for you. If you don't care about the history, it's a bonus, so you can skip this. Yeah. Uh, and since it's a bonus episode, I wanted to do a silly question, but I realized we probably don't have enough time for something like that. So instead, I'm going to do half of a silly question. Yeah, so our half a question is, if you had to. Um, and I'll give my half an answer first, and I'll let you give half an answer to our half a question after. My half an answer will be, um, I think I would have to go with, and that's my half an answer. What about you? Uh, if I had to, yeah, I would not. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a full answer. Well, it's not. Oh, okay. All right. So, we mentioned it already, but before we've talked about different views on creationism in the church today, in episode 41, uh, weaponry, creation, and geology talk, which is, you know, check it out. Uh, the purpose of today's episode is to focus a little more on the historic views of creation in the church and to remind everyone of our church's doctrine on this topic, as we plan to talk about it more this year. And uh, we plan to talk with more church leaders with varying opinions on the topic. So uh, we don't plan to settle any arguments, as always. That's yeah. not what we try to do here in the Dividing Scriptures episodes. But. Yeah, it's an important reminder also for our listeners that... um. We don't like to talk about our views, but we have people who will be on different sides of this argument on the podcast. And just because someone's on the show doesn't necessarily mean we support their view. It's just, hey, uh, if we don't have all views, we can't call ourselves the whole church podcast, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. So uh, we are COGOP, Church of God Prophecy, if you didn't already know. And uh, in the COGOP Foundations course, Introduction to the Bible, uh, they give you a clear idea of what we believe. And, you know, we as in our church... And, uh, you know, we just wanted to mention a few things from that. And I uh, wanted to start with a quote from the course. Yeah. I don't know who it is credited to, but they do say it in the course. <laughs> so, uh, the first two chapters of Genesis recount the manner in which God got the, 
broad God brought the universe into meaning, into being, uh, how he created everything out of nothing. Uh, for six days, he unleashed his boundless creativity, which, you know, I'm sure we've all heard before. Yeah. Beautiful language, though. Boundless creativity. Right. And, uh, you know, remember we have said before in episode 41 that creation out of nothing is a tier one issue. So it is, it's extremely important. You have to believe that God created the universe out of nothing. Or else, you know, Christ has no power to save. Yeah, because if he didn't create us, he could just ignore us. He doesn't have to do anything with our sin. Right. Yeah. Also, who gave him the rights, you know? If yeah. he didn't create it, you know, it was just someone else's work. But that's not what we believe. <laughs> uh, our church mostly leans towards uh, young earth creationism. Uh, but there are a few who hold to an older earth view. Yeah, I know a couple of that. Yeah. Not a lot. So, you know, once it gets past that, you know, we agree God created the earth, it's less important yeah so that's really just what we believe yeah and um we, we already said this we feel the need to cover everything in as proper of a historical pro perspective as possible uh, the reason for that is if you understand how someone came up with their belief or how a belief was formed it's kind of easier to sympathize you know if i know why tj hates me maybe i'll understand and be like okay yeah i'd hate me too dude no, but uh, in all seriousness, it just it helps to understand other perspectives, how views were formed. So for this episode, what we're going to do is we're going to put everyone in their proper context. To the best of our abilities, we're going to present the information and the order that it happened. You know, seems like what makes the most sense. Uh, for As a quick reminder, though, uh, we would like to point out evolution is only 150 years old. So when we talk about this history of the church going back to Augustine, a lot of our history has to do with how the church relates to science and not necessarily evolution, but it's still relevant. Yeah. And that means, you know, even if evolution is correct, it's only been happening for 150 years. You know, <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, it's not that big. Deal. But uh, before we jump into the actual history of the church's beliefs, uh, we wanted to define some views really quick. Uh, there are several that we're going to cover. We're going to cover five or six. Uh, naturalistic evolution is what we're going to start with. Is that you know everything came from nothing, but God wasn't a part of that. Uh, two is theistic evolution, which is everything evolved through God's initial creation and providence. Uh, old Earth creationism is that uh, Genesis one is literal, but genealogies cannot be used to date the Earth, so it may be billions of years old. Uh, young Earth creationism, which is a literal Genesis 1, and uses genealogies to date the Earth to around 6,000 years old. And a fully gifted creation uh, is young Earth creationism, but with the twist that God made everything already aged, like Adam and Eve. Yeah, like the Earth was just made 6,000 years ago, but it was made like 7 billion years old. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we're not going to get too deep into those ideas. But some of the models that we talked about in other episodes use those ideas. So, you know, if you're talking about gap theory, that's an old Earth view. We're not getting into that today, though. We're just going to yeah. talk about history. Right. And, uh, you know, we do talk about that in episode 41 a little. Yeah. Yeah. So. And we wanted to talk about Epicurus. Uh, so, Epicurus was a Greek philosopher that lived from 341 B.C. to 270 B.C. Before Jesus. Mm, that is before Christ. Uh and he theorized that everything in the universe came from small particles, and he actually called them atoms, which, you know, if you don't know how long we've 
you know, known that things are that small. It's literally thousands of years. But anyway, and he believed that it came from those atoms colliding. Uh, he claimed that even God came from these clashing atoms. And uh, the belief was called Epicurism and was popular for around 700 years, which is five times as long as evolution. Right. But uh, many church fathers attacked Epicurism, uh, but also say science should change how we read the Bible. Uh, and that's because, you know, at that point it was only philosophy to them. They couldn't observe atoms or molecules. Yeah. Or Epicurus wasn't a scientist. He was just some dude who said, you know what? I bet everything came from really tiny particles jumping at each other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. There's literally no scientific basis yeah. for his argument. Yeah. Philosophy to science. Felt that way. Yeah. Yeah. Philosophy to science is a never-ending circle. Yeah. So. As we'll see. So, uh, yeah, the early church had a long battle against this philosophy. Now, remember, for this time, it's just a philosophy, not a science. Um, and we just want to talk about what some of the early church fathers had to say specifically about Epicurism. And we'll also mention some of how they talked about science. Because even though evolution's only been a struggle with the church for the last 150 years, the church has always struggled with how science affects how we read the Bible. Uh, you can look at Galileo's example of, you know, is the earth round? You know, a lot of people thought the Bible said it was flat. But um, anyway, so first we're going to look at Hippolytus. We don't know when he was born. Died around 236 AD. Saw dragons. Supposedly. Uh, believed Epicurism was antithetical to creation. Uh, he basically said uh, Epicurism is based off atoms randomly colliding, which means everything is random, which means there's no ordered creation. So Christians can't believe that. That's stupid. And Christians are the only smart people. Yeah, that, which is actually what pretty much most of the early church fathers thought. But uh, anyway, uh, Origen had a lot to say about it. Am I saying that? Is it Origen or Origen? Probably Origen, but I'm not sure. Well, the Origen. Uh, died 254 AD, so, you know, still early 200s. Uh, he said, in quote, Let Celsus, who was a proponent of Epicurism, then say distinctly that the great diversity of the earth is not the work of providence, but of a certain fortuitous concurrence of atoms that gave birth to everything. He's basically saying he just thinks everything this diverse just came from little stuff jumping at each other. It had to be made of a bunch of different things. Right. Yeah. Uh, but he also, sarcastically, he was asking, I mean, he's talking about Genesis 1. He says, what person of intelligence, that's cool, what person of intelligence could possibly believe the details of Genesis 1 were literal? He just thought that idea was absurd. Which is weird. Anyway. Uh, Amphilochius. I help. might be saying that. <laughs> we'll find out. Uh, he was like from like 340-ish to like 400-ish. Um, he, he said, A man is altogether irreligious and a stranger to the truth if he does not say that Christ the Savior is also the maker of all things. Right. So, uh, then we want to talk about Augustine, who, you know, unlike some of these dudes, we actually know when he was born and died. Uh, 354 B.C. to 430 B.C. Or A.D. Hey. <laughs> you know, uh, he believed Genesis 1 and 2 had to be figurative uh, concerning science, not philosophy, of plants, animals, stars, and the earth. Augustine said it was a disgraceful and dangerous thing for non-believers to hear a Christian presumably giving the meaning of Holy Scripture talking nonsense on these topics. Which is just, you know, you know his way to say, you know, that's, that's dumb. Yeah, he was saying, hey, Christians, don't talk about science, all right? Yeah. Uh, we want to talk about Justin Martyr, 
uh, Irenaeus and many others in the early church who supported the fight against Epicurism. You know, they support hating something. But... Uh, support uh, since, not supporting it. Right. Since Epicurism was a philosophy and not a science, uh, there there was no one suggesting any form of theistic Epicurism. Rather, it was plainly either creationism or Epicurism. And uh, many believed who, or many who believed Epicurism also thought that the Earth was young. Yeah. So. Yeah. Because it wasn't evolution. So at that point, it was just a. Yeah. Earth seems like it's young. Yeah, the atoms colliding just didn't really have anything to do with that argument yet. Um, which is why, you know, both sides, a lot of people on both sides actually thought that the earth was younger than the Bible suggests. So they were like, oh, it can't be 6,000 years old. That's crazy. That's way too old. Yeah. Have you ever heard of anything lasting for 6,000 years? Yeah. yeah. So they, that's why um, some early church fathers were like, yeah, it had to be figurative. There's no way the earth's that old. Yeah. Egypt's that old. It's funny. You know, there was no evidence right. to the, you know, otherwise. Yeah, so they were like, oh, why would. Anyway, uh, St. Basil. So mid 300s, he standardized the six day young earth creation narrative and the church pretty much effectively stomped out Epicurism around this time. So from like mid 300s BC, I think it was to 300s AD, Epicurism was pretty big. St. Basil made some really strong arguments and people were like, yeah, okay, stop paying attention to Epicurism for a while. Um, St. Methodius, another early church father, also made important contributions to that six day creation narrative. So. That's pretty much it for your early church fathers, I think. Right. And, you know, after that era in the Middle Ages, the debate was seldomly brought up. Uh, Thomas Aquinas, during that time, affirmed a literal account of Genesis as a testimony against St. Augustine's belief. Uh, St. Elsom, Driedo, and others did likewise. So, you know, it's kind of like, well, we think that was probably wrong, but yeah. Just a bunch uh, of people in the Middle Ages sitting around. Yeah, they were just doing what we're doing now, <laughs> sitting around talking about how early church fathers were wrong, yeah. except we're not doing that. <laughs> like they were just sitting around thinking about what old dudes thought. Yeah. Which is just, you know, philosophy. Yeah. So then, after the Middle Ages, we have the Protestant Reformation in 1534. Uh, Luther and Calvin were leaders of the Reformation. Both of them believed in a literal six-day creation. Uh, John Calvin is uh, 1509 to 1564 also encouraged believers to use science by ungodly men. He was like, yeah, scientists are all ungodly, but uh, what they're saying probably could help us better understand Scripture if we understand how Earth actually came about. Uh, he even said that, you know, in Genesis 1 through 2, it looks like the Bible's suggesting people only ate plants, but science says it's probably not true, so we should just not comment on it. That was his thoughts. And... Uh... During the 15 to 1600s, uh, flood geology became popular. You know, just people shifting their focus. Uh, because geology was beginning to get its footing in science, uh, you know, as a science, instead of just people thinking about rocks, <laughs> uh, people thought they could use geology to prove Noah's flood, which we talked about yeah. in 41? Before yeah, 41 that? or 44. Uh, I actually think flood was 16. Oh. By the 1700s, uh, it had appeared geology rather supported the idea that there were many different massive floods all in different areas other than the global flood, which, again, we talked about in our flood episode, talked about all of those conflicting uh, perspectives, so check that out. Uh, John Pi Smith, uh, from 1774 to 1851, uh, he was born, died, uh, developed the local flood theory for Noah's Flood that we talked about in episode 61. There you go. Oh, so it was 61. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Inspiration, The Flood, and End Times Talk. Uh, so, you know, check it out. Uh, I'm just going to cover it real quick. It's basically the idea that their whole world was not actually the whole world. It was just where they were. Yeah. But all of where they were. So, Which, there are other places in the Bible, which we talk about that in episode 61, that right. make it say what they say, the whole earth, and say these areas. Right. And uh, John Fleming, a Scottish Presbyterian and zoologist, and you know how we feel about Scottish people, but that's a joke. <laughs> See, my favorite actors are all Scottish. Really? Whatever. Uh, he, born in 1785, lived in 1857. Uh, he furthered biblical interpretations by saying that Noah's flood must have been peaceful, but still global, since geology does not reflect it as we understand it. Yeah. And then by 1830, which, you know, 27 years before John Fleming even died, uh, flood geology was no longer considered a valid scientific idea. And by 1840, Almost all Christian churches supported the old earth creationism account. Yeah, that was like almost 200 years ago. Right. Uh, most people who say evolution historically hurt the church are actually talking about geology. And the church's fight here, or the damage caused by the Scopes monkey trial in the 1920s. Yeah, we'll get to that later. We'll talk about that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so after everyone's pretty much accepted old earth, yeah, the earth's probably old. Um, 1859. Charles Darwin wrote on the origin of species, which has been massively exaggerated, honestly. Uh, many theories similar to that have already been proposed. Most people already believed in an old Earth. It did not make as big of an impact as we think it did today for some reason. Um, that's not really important, but, you know, it's true. Um, technically, he may have been a theistic evolutionist. Uh, when you really look at his writings, uh, he's not a true naturalist, as many people think. At one point, he said he considered himself an agnostic. But if you read about his beliefs and what he did, he worked with the church his entire life. So it seemed like he didn't really know what he believed. Um, the theory of evolution certainly impacted how close he was to God. If you read up on his experience, you know, he was a devout Christian and discovered evolution. Everybody hated him. He ended up stopped going to church, but he still worked with the church. It was a complicated thing. But uh, in his book on the origin of species, he proposed... Life having been originally breathed by the creator into a few forms or into one from so simple a beginning, endless forms, most beautiful and most wonderful have been and are being evolved. And that sort of opened up the big can of worms mm -hmm. that we're here to talk about today. Right. And so, you know, now we come to the modern era. I started mentioning some people that most of you probably heard of in like middle school. Yeah. Uh, not this guy, probably, but uh, we want to talk some about B.B. Warfield. Uh, born 1851, died okay. in 1921, uh, developed the inerrancy doctrine that most Protestant churches hold to today. Uh, he was an anti-naturalist, but he believed that evolution did not contradict the Bible. And he thought that, he said that evolution cannot act as a substitute for creation, but at best can supply a theory of the method of divine providence uh, in creation. So... Uh, he was probably a the theistic evolutionist, but, uh, you know, we can't really say because he never came out and said what he believed in yeah. terms of He just talked a evolution. lot about how evolution doesn't contradict the Bible, but he never said that he believed evolution, so it's really hard to say. Yeah. Um, but most people use his doctrine of inerrancy as their reasoning why Genesis 1 has to be literal and evolution is wrong, which is funny because he came up with that doctrine and he did not believe that. Not saying that it's true or not true to believe that way, it's just kind of ironic. Um, then, in the, so it's uh, from 1910 to 1915, 
the fundamentalist papers were written. So early 1900s, the modernist movement in the church was growing, which had a fairly liberal theology. And the fundamentalists were like, hey, we can't have that. So they came up with a bunch of essays to say, uh, modernists are dumb, be a fundamentalist. Uh, These essays were written by just a bunch of different Christians. Um, There's no mention of a young earth a single time in the fundamentalist papers. They just don't mention a young earth. And in fact, they have James Orr write in the papers as a theistic evolutionist. So about 100 years ago, more than 100 years ago, there was a theistic evolutionist who was considered a fundamentalist. So just not that uncommon mm-hmm. at that point. Yeah, and uh, you know that would bring us to uh, Alan White, Ellen, yeah, dude's name. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> what was that? Just, the dude's name at one point? No. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's a joke. Oh, okay. But uh, Ellen White, uh, she co-founded the Seventh Day Adventist Church. She had a vision of Noah's flood where the flood did change theology and was very scientifically specific, forcing her church to form a doctrine of a young earth. Uh, evolution is not possible with the young earth. Because it takes a while. But uh, this made her church and one Missouri Senate Lutheran church almost the only churches with a young earth view in the early 1900s. Now she passed in 1915. Very early. She had a really specific dream where she saw like uh, the floods of the earth changing the earth, and she was just watching the earth change during Noah's flood. Seems like a really cool thing to see. I'd like someone to paint that. Yeah, that's true. Look that up. Uh, okay, so then July 21st, my brother's birthday, 1925, the Scopes Monkey Trial happened. Well, Scopes monkey, monkey Trial was stupid, first off. <laughs> just want to say that. It's dumb. But uh, it, So there was a law passed in Tennessee a year prior, so 1924, that said that nothing could be taught in schools in Tennessee that contradicted uh, divine creation. It is a legal trial, by the way. It's not a test on monkeys. Yeah. It's a legal case. Um, Mr. Scopes, he was unsure. He's like, I'm not sure if I taught evolution or not, but he got himself convicted for the sole purpose of having this trial. Uh, I don't remember the name of the town, but it's some nobody town in Tennessee with uh, this... Teacher Scopes really was also kind of a nobody. You know, not, no offense if anyone from his family's listening. But uh, until this case, nothing about it was really particularly interesting. Except for William Jennings Bryan, three times presidential candidate, decided he was going to be the prosecutor and try to convict the evolutionist teacher for maybe teaching evolution. Not sure. And uh, just so everybody knows, Bryan was actually an old Earth creationist. He said young earth creationists were stupid. Yeah. Uh, Which brings us to the defendant, who was very popular defendant, uh, popular in the legal world, uh, Clarence Darrow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Uh, So Clarence Darrow intentionally brought Brian to the stand uh, to defend his stance against science and made Byron a public ridicule. Just, you know. He just kept asking questions to try to make him look stupid. Right, which, you know, we've seen in a ton of movies with court cases, and just people do that. Yeah. But uh, he also asked the jury to convict his client so that the case would go to the Supreme Court, who let the case go on a technicality. He did a lot of work to get it to go to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court was like, well, technically. Right. Bye. <laughs> uh, the ridicule in this case is what sparked the modern anti-evolution moment movement in the church. So, 
You know, the yeah. church really hasn't been vehemently against evolution for that long. Yeah, uh, because, uh, man, what was the guy's name? The defendant. The defendant? Yeah, Dara. Is that how I say that? Anyway, the, he made Brian ask him so many questions, made him look like such a ridicule. That news went across the entire country and everybody's reading about it. And it just looks like, hey, agnostics are trying to make creationists look stupid, which made everybody mad, which made them double down. Um, so then that brings us to George McGreedy Price, who's popular for repopularizing flood geology. Uh, he died in 1963, and his work really wasn't popular until after that in the 1960s. Uh, he learned of young earth creationists from the Seventh-day Adventist. So you have Ellen White. She has that vision. Hey, we should all learn about the young earth because I had this vision. Seventh-day Adventists keep teaching that. George McGreedy Price runs into some Seventh-day Adventists and says, hey, that's a good idea. I'm going to look into flood geology and kind of bring that to light. That was his thing. Uh, he actually is going to teach Henry Morris. I'm going to talk more about that as we get to more current times. But uh, before we do, another person from more modern times, C.S. Lewis, someone I like to talk about a lot, uh, born in 1898, died in 1963. Uh, he denied naturalism very openly, said, uh, you know, if you think that God was not involved in creation, you can't be a Christian. Be very clear about that. He also was a theistic evolutionist. And in fact, he described how he believed God created humans. He said, for long centuries, God perfected the animal form. Then in the fullness of time, God caused to descend upon this organism. Hmm. So he uh, he describes it. Where he's like, yeah, you know, animal you know, gets thumbed and gets this and he starts changing. Then once it was a human, God came down and gave him the spirit that makes him human. Right. Uh, now I want to talk about uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who is, you know, featured per- somewhat heavily on our book recommendations list. Yeah. You know, guest of the podcast, friend of ours, Gary Atkins, he recommended a few of his books. Yeah. Pastor Gary recommends four books. Three of them are by this guy. Right. Uh, from the late 1800s to the late 1900s, pretty much. Uh, he okay. was, yeah, lived for a long time. But uh, he said that we accept biblical teaching with regard to creation and do not base our position upon theories of evolution, uh, whichever particular theory people may choose to advocate. We reject the notion of pre-Adamic man because it is contrary to the teachings of the scripture. Right. He's just like, hey, yeah, we believe what the Bible says. All right. And now we want to talk about John Stott, who, you know, pretty popular guy. Pretty popular guy. He actually only died 10 years ago, Uh, but he was an Anglican pastor, writer, whatever. He wrote the only other book Pastor Gary recommended. Uh, and John Stott went on record saying that it is most unfortunate that some who debate this issue begin by assuming that the words creation and evolution are mutually exclusive. Yeah. Which, you know, we had earlier. It's like, you know, evolution doesn't really contradict what the Bible says from. Yeah. It's what John Stott believed. Yeah. Uh, we're not sure if he believed creation or not. He just didn't right. believe that you had to deny evolution, basically. Right. And then, you know, Pope John Paul II, uh, you know, our. The Pope before last, I think. Three Popes ago? Three? I mean, okay, if you include our current Pope, three ago. Right. Yeah. Uh, Passed away in 2005. Uh, Went on record to say, science can purify religion from error and superstition, and religion can purify science from idolatry and false absolutes. So, you know, there's a lot of really intelligent people. There are a lot of very different things to say about the topic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) More on that here in a little bit, but... uh, 
when John Piper and Billy Graham disagree about a subject, it's a pretty big deal. But uh, Bob Jones and John Falwell Sr., uh, Bob Jones founded Bob Jones University, uh, John Falwell Sr. founded Liberty University. Um, those were both, at that point, fundamentalist universities that taught and supported young earth creationism, both founded in the 1900s, drastically different times. But one was 1927, one was 1971. But uh, yeah. And then we have uh, Henry Morris, who lived from 1918 2006, he learned from George Price on flood, flood geology. So, Ellen White, George Price, Henry Morris. So, uh, he writes with John Whitcomb in 1961. 1961, so that's not that long ago, really, guys. The Genesis Flood, and that's what popularized the modern flood geology movement. If you heard about flood geology, it's pretty much because of this book in the 1960s. For 200 years before that, everyone discredited it. Mm-hmm. They brought it back into light. Um, Henry Morris found the Creation Research Institute, which is now the second most popular creationist institute uh, behind Answers in Genesis. We'll talk about it in a minute. And he debated with Wheaton College professors on the topic as uh, Wheaton College changed its views in the 1950s uh, to be more of an old earth creationist kind of deal. But, uh, yeah. But uh, Henry Morris has students. No, just one. Uh, but uh, <laughs> Ken Ham, yeah. you know, went to study under Henry Morris, and he founded his answers in Genesis and created a list of okayed schools based on views of the issue that he distributed amongst homeschool programs during the big homeschool movement, which you know we're still feeling the after effects of today. All I those poor homeschool part kids. Of the homeschool movement. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We we've been praying for you guys. I, I got Ken Ham's okayed list. Yeah. So you know, that's just some effects. You know, this thing goes back, yeah, about literally, fifty years. Fifty years. Sixty. But yeah. So then, uh, Billy Graham. You may have heard of him. Uh, just died a couple of years ago. He's still feeling the effects of that today, actually. Uh, so he's from 1918 to 2018. What a hundred years. Yeah. Uh, he helped start the evangelical tradition. So if you heard of evangelical Christians, it is because of Billy Graham. Uh, he started the tradition because. At, at that point, I think it was in the 1930s that he started doing that. But uh, at that point, the, he felt that the modernist movement in Christianity was moving far too liberal. And he felt that the fundamentalists were being too contrary to science and culture. He's like, there's no reason to be that contrary and self-excluding. So he started the evangelical movement. Well, he helped start it. Um, and what he said during his ministry, he said that... Uh, the Bible is not a book of science, as in it's not supposed to be taken as science. I believe that God did create the universe. I believe that God created man, and whether it came by an evolutionary process or not, does not change the fact that God did create man. Uh, Billy Graham was pretty um, strongly indifferent yeah. about evolution. Yeah. <laughs> Very passionate. Yeah. Which is amazing. Um, yeah. So uh, <laughs> that brings us to more current times. Uh, in 2011, and they've done a few studies since, but uh, in 2011, there was a Barna survey, Barna survey, sorry, that showed that the n number three reason why young adults leave the church is because of the debate on evolution and creationism. Um, they've done other surveys that show that uh, the number one and number two reasons why a lot of young adults who aren't Christians don't come to church is for the same reason. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So if you go on Family Feud. 
Yeah, you're yeah. prepared. <laughs> uh, so then we have John Piper, who believed it was possible to reconcile some parts of evolution with Genesis. And he was very cautious to say that. He, most parts are not possible to reconcile, according to him. But he personally does not affirm evolution whatsoever. Right. Uh, John Piper said that evolution is, as it is ordinarily meant in our culture, is incompatible with creation. Yeah. So he was just staunchly against it. He was one of the major current church leaders. So. Right. Yeah. And that brings us to Tim Keller, who is modern in the sense that most of these guys haven't been. Not the academic version of modern. Yeah. Uh, just current yeah. guy. Yeah. Him, John Piper. The, uh, he is a theistic evolutionist who affirms the historic fall of man. So, you know, he believes that, you know, evolution happened, but because God made it happen, basically. Adam and Eve, there was also yeah. a fall of all man, yeah. Uh, Pope's Benedict the fifteenth, sixteenth, uh, my bad, and Pope Francis uh, both say that it is possible to believe evolution and creation, uh, but the Catholic Church itself doesn't have an official stance. I have a theory as to why. I think it's because if they took an official stance of the age of the earth, they are either denying Augustine or Thomas Aquinas, and I just don't think they want to do either of those things. I think they should. I think they should deny Thomas Aquinas. I yeah, assume you don't like Aquinas. <laughs> yeah. um, so, guys, this is a tricky one, honestly. Um, if, you, if you're if you in the Ken Ham kind of camp, a lot of the people in Answers to Genesis and other people who follow that, this is a tier one issue. You know, if you don't believe... Every part of the Bible is literal. You can't believe any part of it's literal. So Jesus doesn't matter, is what a lot of them would say. So to them, it is a tier one issue. If you believe there's no conflict, like Billy Graham, John Stott, a few of the other guys, this is really just a third tier issue. You can believe what you want. It doesn't matter. Uh, if you believe in an inheritance model of guilt from Adam, which is that we all are guilty because of Adam's sin rather than we're guilty mm -hmm. because of our own sin. Yeah. We've all got that piece of fruit in our throat. So, yeah. Um, which there's a debate on that. You can see episode 44, sin, death, and sports talk. We talk more about it there. Uh, but basically some people believe that, uh, we're guilty because Adam sinned. Some people believe we all sin because Adam sinned and we're only guilty because of our own sin. So this issue does affect that doctrine. If you can't agree on the doctrine of, uh, guilt, then, this is a second tier issue. You know, we still agree that we're both Christians. Probably shouldn't go to the same church because we're going to have wildly different beliefs on a lot of different passages. And if you're talking about naturalist evolution, the idea that everything evolved, God wasn't involved at all, then yeah, it's a tier one issue. If God didn't create everything, which we said earlier, he has no need to save it and no power to save it. So, can't really believe that. Uh, and then for our action to maintain unity today, in the church, we always like to give one practical thing you could do, right? Uh, we just want to ask everybody, do your own research. Uh, verify what we said today. Look it up for yourself, basically. Uh, because we believe that, as everyone has better knowledge of the history of the church and how we got to our beliefs, that uh, that'll help us all understand why we believe different things and ultimately will result in greater church unity. Yeah. Or alternatively, prove or disprove evolution. Yeah, that, yeah, just come up with a solid answer. That would help a that, lot. Yeah, that, that would do it too. Right. Uh, so if you learned anything from this episode today or you just enjoyed listening to us talk, uh, <laughs> let us know because that's never happened before. <laughs> uh, but consider sharing it with a friend. You know, it's great to get our, us out there. Uh, yeah. It really helps. And if you would like to learn more about either side of this today, uh, you know, we've already mentioned it before, but check out episodes 41, 43, and 61. 
uh, to learn more about creationism and flood geology as a whole, uh, you can go to AnswersInGenesis.org or check out the book Theistic Evolution, a scientific, philosophical, and theological critique by J.P. Moreland. To learn more about theistic evolution, you can go to uh, biologos.org, which is B-I-O-L-O-G-O-S.org, or check out the book Evolution of Adam by Pete Enns, who we've had on the podcast. Yeah. Cool. We should be back in December. All right. And we hope our time today has helped you understand the many different stances of the church today better, how we got to the beliefs we all have now, and that it helped bring us all closer to church unity than ever before. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Or watching. Do, 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 do. Well,